the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power that raised him from the dead. We see it over and over in Scripture, and the original word in the Greek is dunamos. It's the word that we get our word dynamite from, this explosive power that raised Christ from the dead is the, is the very same power at work in your life and in my life. Paul writes this so clearly. In this series, we are focusing specifically on the life of the Apostle Paul. What are you thinking? What am I thinking? And we're just looking at the Apostle Paul because one of the things that I see with Paul is that when he came and he met Christ, God took him just the way he was but took him through a process of transforming his mind. And Paul, when he was in jail, and we'll read some of the letters that he wrote this morning, at that point had a transformed mind. It is the very process the creator of the universe wants to do in your life and in my life. My plan was to do four weeks, and somewhere just in the middle or just past the middle, I, I wanted to do one more week on this, and I knew it, and that's what I want to focus on this morning. And I actually want us to stop, and I, and I want to go through real quickly the last three, the last four weeks, and, and then just take it a bit further. And then you'll notice that, that the topic is thinking again, and I, I'll just nail, I'll put a nail through that piece of paper at the end of the message. Week one, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life and my life is always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. We looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And he starts off by talking about strongholds and then he moves on and he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension, every argument or thought, we, we demolish those that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to God's word. In other words, no matter what the thought or the subject is, we look at it and we say, well, wait a minute, how does that stand in light of what God says? Because what comes into your mind comes out in your life. It's the reality for all of us. Paul recognized this. Paul said the battle is either won or it is lost in the mind before it ever comes out in your life. So one question I would ask is, are you satisfied with your thoughts? Are you satisfied with where your thoughts are taking you? Are your thoughts good for your marriage? Are your thoughts good for your finances? Are your thoughts good in terms of being a good steward of your time? Are your thoughts taking you places that are positive with your job. Because Scripture tells us to honor God by the way we work at our job. 
See, we're working off the premise and the truth that God has a specific plan, purpose, and will for every one of our lives. Only the creator of the universe could do that. Only the creator of the universe could on an individual level with every single one of us have a specific plan, purpose, and will for our lives. This is God. He created everything. He knows everything. He can do everything all at the same time. And this God loves you and loves me and has a plan, a purpose, and a will for each of our lives. First week, I talked about identifying the number one stronghold that is holding you back. What is it? For most of us, immediately it comes to mind. We know what we are struggling with. We know what deep down inside is an issue for us, and, and, and we just keep grappling with it. What is holding you back? Our mind, we were created in God's image. Our mind is brilliant. Scientists tell us that most of us don't even scratch the surface in using most of our mind. I walk through Walmart and look at the way some people dress, and I'm totally convinced of that. Our mind, when we think a thought, our mind actually creates a neural pathway that makes it easier for us to think that thought again. So the more we think the same thoughts, the, the easier it becomes. Now, if you're thinking good things, that is a really good thing. But if you're thinking bad things, that's a problem. Because that's just building up. And some of us, we're, we're facing difficult times in life or we're going through life and, and, and we're struggling with the way we think. It's just too hard, we're thinking. Or I'm not good enough because someone back somewhere told us that. Or I'm, I'm not really lovable. Or I'm always going to have debt. Bad thoughts. And when bad thoughts and we focus on them and, and, and they reach our heart, they actually become strongholds in our lives. And that's what Paul was talking. He's pointing to strongholds, things that, that are dominating us in any given area, something that we're not able to shake. Paul says we demolish strongholds. And the word that he uses is that same Greek word, dunamos. We demolish the same power that raised Christ from the dead. We That's the power. So in other words, it works. In other words, it's effective. In other words, if we apply it, it will do the job. And then on that first week, I said, name the truth. Write it down. Name the truth that demolishes that stronghold. I'm, I'm not lovable. God says, I love you more than, I would give up all of creation just for you. I love you more than everything else I created. As a matter of fact, I created everything else so I could have relationship with you. Name the truth that demolishes that stronghold because you can be locked in a prison in your mind 
And the only thing that's keeping that door locked is a lie. Something that you... You see, the Bible is 100% truth. God is 100% good. There's nothing bad in him. He doesn't do bad. He only does good. He only does love. He only deals in truth. The enemy of our soul deals only in lies. Those are the only arrows he's got. He doesn't have the kind of power God has. He's only got these arrows that he fires at you and I. When our shield of faith is not up, those arrows pierce right through and they nail us every single time. Paul says, take captive every thought. And Paul allowed God to take him to the place in his life where he was doing just that. Paul says, meditate. When we meditate on good thoughts, that neuropath just allows, it makes it easier and easier. And that's how we grow. But if we're anxious or we're worrying, we're meditating, but not on good thoughts. And the results of being anxious and worrying can take over our lives. Week two, we talked about changing our thinking because changing our thinking changes our lives because Paul says the battle is won or lost in the mind. When I think back in my own life, Poor decisions I have made. Listen, in preparing for this series, I'm telling you, I stopped and I went back and I thought of them. And, and here's what I know. Every time I made a poor decision, it was because I was on a track with poor thinking. I was actually believing a lie in any given area. And when our thinking comes to fruition, it takes us into action because what we think determines the way we feel, which determines what we do. Paul's our example. We talked about training our mind, about meditating, about, about refocusing, about, about Paul recommend, tells us to, to pray and, and not just pray, but pray with thanksgiving. In other words, be grateful to God when you're praying. There are any number of things to be grateful for, but you say, but I'm in a horrible situation. Be grateful it's not worse. Be grateful that you have a God that you can come to. Paul gives us Philippians 4, where he says, fix your thoughts. Your thoughts, focus them, fix them. And then he gives us unbelievably clear examples. He says, now, dear brothers and sisters... See, this was a time in history, and still today in the Middle East, it still is that way. Women are not on the same level as men. Women are not allowed the same education. And this was in a day where, where it, it, women were in a, in a place in a different place than men, socio socially and, and spiritually, and in every way. And Jesus, when he walked this planet, began to break that barrier down, and he dealt with women just like he dealt with men. And he developed close relationships with women just like he did with men. And the writers of the New Testament follow suit. And Paul right here is not saying, men, listen to me, as his culture would have told him. He says, listen, dear brothers and sisters, because when we become followers of Christ, we become children of God. 
So he is our father. We are in his family and we are brothers and we are sisters in Christ. I grew up in a church where we called everybody brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. Hi, good morning, Brother Meyer. How are you doing? Good, good morning, Brother Dan. How are you doing, Sister Joan? That's, that's the life that we lived in church. It was the church culture that I grew up with, and it grew out of Paul's writings here. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true. He gives us examples. Honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Do you, do you see where he's pointing for us? He just makes it so clear. Here's where you need to be. Focus on this. If you can't control what you think, you will never control what you do. Because it is your thinking that takes you and I down a path. Another way to say it is whatever controls your mind controls your life. We, we have to look at God for who he is. We have to recognize who God is. And here's the reality. Many of us don't have a clear, we grow up with a distorted view of who God is. For some of us, we grew up thinking God was watching the rights and the wrongs. And, 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 and they're on a scale. And, and every time we do something wrong, it, it, that's, that column gets checked. And every time we do something right, that column gets checked. And our hope is that by the time we get to the end of this life, that, that this scale is going to tip in our favor. Some of us actually think, maybe God didn't see some of the things I did. How, how about that? Could you imagine the creator of, who knows everything, God knows everything about you. Does that scare you? His mercy and his grace and his love sees you when you're his child. He sees you through the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, he sees you as spotless because of the work that Christ did on the cross. The creator of the universe See, a flawed view of God equals a flawed life. It's so important that, that, that we have a clear perspective of who God is, that our thinking is foundationally on who God is. He's a loving, caring God. When Jesus came to earth, and just before he went into ministry, he, John the Baptist met him at the Sea of Galilee. Jesus stepped into the water. John, John baptized. We're going to have baptism on the, on the 20th. John baptized Jesus, setting an example for us. And when Jesus came up out of the water, the Bible says that God the Father, the Heavenly Father, spoke in an audible voice and everybody heard it. And he, you know what he said? He says, this is my son whom I love. He didn't say, this is my son who is here to do ministry and here to, re he didn't say those things Jesus was going to do. But God didn't talk about that. He said, this is my son whom 
I love. Because that's the kind of heavenly father he is. Dads, you know, you come walking in the door. We can all remember this. And our kids are happy as can be. Daddy, come see. Daddy, come see. Daddy, come see. And they take you out to the trampoline or to the pool or whatever. And they show you something new that they do. And it may not even be much different than what they did last time. But dads, what do we do? We say, that was great. You did that so well. I, that was really, and, and we encourage them and we build them up. How much more our heavenly father for us. That is how he sees us. Your heavenly father loves you. Before you were even born, he knew his plan, his purpose for your life. Before you were born, he knew that. See, this is God we're talking about. Nothing he doesn't know, nothing he can't do. And in a fallen, broken world, he loves us so much and is so committed to us that he takes everything that happens in our lives and he weaves it into part of our story. Even the bad things, and he turns them out for good in our lives. In week three, I looked at Philippians 1, 12. Paul is writing from jail. Paul had a passion for the gospel. He recognized who Jesus was, what Jesus had done in his life, and he just wanted to tell the world. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Philip. He wanted, but he was in jail. And he writes from jail. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. He didn't say that. He should have. We would have. He didn't say that. He says, what has happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. Paul is always looking at the positive. Paul is living out his life. His mind is transformed and he is living out exactly what he's telling you and I to do when he tells us to think about things that are pure, honest, praiseworthy, excellent. He's living this. He's not telling us, saying, I couldn't do this, but maybe you guys can pull it off. No, he's living it out, and he's telling us to do it. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. In other words, I can't control what happens to me, but I can control what I focus on. Guys, we need to learn that one. I need to learn that one. I can't tell you how many times I'm driving down the road and somebody does say something and, I, and I'll... I'll attach a name to them. Now, I don't cuss at them, but it's not a great name. Idiot comes to mind so often. So I'm not doing what Paul's saying. And he goes on in 13, as a result... It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. I'm chained to a guard. Every eight hours they change shifts and I'm chained to another guard. And this happens over and over again. And the guards are going back to the lieutenants and the captains and, the, and everybody in the prison guard. 
and more even beyond that, have accepted Christ, have become followers of Christ because Paul is living an unbelievable example of living out a transformed mind. Paul has total, at this point, total control of his mind. And Paul recognizes something. You know what Paul recognizes? He recognizes that God is a good God. That everything about God is good. And the Bible says God is love. He's a good God who loves. That's all he does. Somehow, some of us grow up thinking God hates us or he's constantly judging us. Or, and, we, and we have all kinds of ideas. And, and uh, I was privileged to have a great dad. Some of us grew up, maybe your dad wasn't so great. And, and the image of your dad has begun to shape what you think of your heavenly father. Paul says, you, you need to take that thought captive. Shavian, last week, went to Ephesians 1, 18. God is a good God. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's everywhere all the time. He has all the, he, he, nobody could have, he's got all power, all power. Paul writes, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He doesn't say, I pray that, I pray that you get this clear in your thinking. He takes it beyond that. He says, I, I pray that you get this clear in your thinking, but it goes beyond that. It goes all the way to your heart. Through scripture, when God is pursuing people, when he pursues you and I, one of the things I notice is God pursues our heart. Because when he gets our heart, here's the reality, church, when God gets your heart, he knows that everything else is going to come along with it even your wallet. He knows when he gets our heart. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. God calls you his holy people. This same God who said about his son Jesus, I love him, says about you and I, I love you. My son came, paid the price for your sin because so, I was pursuing you. So that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Shavian talked about the reality as, the, as Jesus is our Savior, Jesus is sitting next to the Heavenly Father on the throne room. The Bible says he is ever interceding for you and for me constantly. We do something wrong. We sin. See, see even though we become followers of Christ and we accept Christ as our Savior, I, I hate to break the news to you, but you still sin, and I still sin. Calling somebody an idiot when I'm driving behind, I'm, that, that's really sinning, okay? We, we still do things that are wrong, but Jesus is sitting next to God the Father, ever interceding, the Bible says, for his children. 
That's us. Then Shavian gave us a quote. Look at this quote from Einstein. Einstein said, you can't solve your problems at the same level of thinking you were when you created them. Because it was your thinking that created the problem. So obviously, you need to come to a higher level of thinking so you can solve problems. Paul says the same thing in a different way. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because when your thinking is changed, you're just going to be at a whole other level. Paul just digs in on this. And then I just kind of want to make two closing thoughts. See, God changes our lives as we allow him to change our thinking. He changes our lives first by changing our thinking. Paul, when he writes to the Romans in Romans 12 too, he says, don't be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't let the world around you choose the path and the directions of your life. Let your heavenly Father do it. And what he's going to do first, through his word, through his Holy Spirit, through his family, is he's going to change your thinking because changing your thinking will change your life because the way we think determines the way we feel, which determines what we do. And it's so easy to look at these five weeks and, and step away and think, this is just too big. I'll never be able to change my thinking. I, I don't think I can pull this off. Or maybe you're, maybe you're facing a difficult time in your life and it's just too big. I have to point back again to Scripture. See, we, we think in terms of a month or a week or years. When I open up Scripture, you, you, know, you know what God says to you and I? Planning is good. Do planning. Do all that. Do all the stuff you need to do. But when you're following me, Jesus said, Let's keep this simple. Let's keep it one day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to have enough worries for itself, the Bible says. One day at a time. Don't take on all the No, no. One day. Not one month, one week. One, no. One day at a time. Because he promises his strength for today. He promises his Holy Spirit for the day. He promises his grace and his power. This dunamos, he promises it for today. Some of us are thinking about tomorrow and the future. Some of you are wondering if the Cardinals are winning right now. Let's focus on here and now. Let's be disappointed later. Here and now, one day at a time. And you know what? With God, here's the truth, guys. There's always a reward for what's doing right. God always rewards for what's doing right. And he does it so much greater than we could ever think, dream, or imagine. And when you're doing what's good and what's right, forget everything else. Just think about doing what's good and what's right, you are doing far more good than you could ever 
imagine. Because you have no idea the ripples and effect that God is doing through whatever, whatever you do. He said, blessed is the one who gives a glass of water to a child. God takes note of a simple action like that. That's why serving in the heart and life of our church is such a big deal. Children's ministry and serving, such a big deal. Every area of ministry, it is a big, big deal. Don't miss out on God's blessing. And let's not make it complicated. Problem is, we get tired. We get worn out. We, we get focused on the world around us. The children of Israel were camped. Listen, they were camped right next to the promised land. Only two guys caught the vision. They were camped next to the promised land. But they... In, they insisted on doing it their way, which took them 40 years in the wilderness, and they never got in. Do we want to do it God's way, or do we really want to do it? I look, I could stop the service right now, and, and I could ask any number of, of us sitting here to, to, to just, just talk about the time in your life that you walked away from what you knew God's way was and, and you went your own. And I'm, here's, what I, here's what I know. We would stand up and share the story and we would share the consequences of that decision. I know it. I know it for all of us. Some of us are so close, so close to victory in an area of your life. So close to, to taking that step and getting there. It's like childbirth. It's, it's most painful just before the baby comes. Now, I've heard that. Obviously, I don't know that. But I've been told. I know when I look at the, the 24 hours, it's, it's darkest just before we start to see the dawn. And here's what I know. No matter where you are, no matter what you're up against, you can do it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Listen, Paul just over and over again lays truth out there. And we just need to embrace it and apply it in our lives. And if we do, here's what I know. We will be doing what's good and what's right. We will reap the rewards of doing what is good and what's right. We will stay in God's perfect will. We will be fulfilling his plan for our lives. And because of it, we will be stronger. Because of it, we will be better. Because of it, we will be closer to him in our relationship with him. There was this guy in the New Testament story. It's real clear. Most of you know it. Some of you heard this. I heard it in Sunday school first time. He was sick, but he had four friends. And he talked his friends into taking him to see Jesus. They carried him on a stretcher all the way to see Jesus. And they got there. The house was sold out, man. The, the place was jammed. You couldn't, you couldn't get a fly in this room. It was so packed. And you got to know that these four guys are thinking, well, Maybe next time, or there's just obviously no way this is going to happen. And he talks them in to going up on the roof. 
and taking somebody's roof all apart and lowering him down through the roof. You got to know they're thinking, we carried him all this way. It's just not going to, any number of excuses would have been fine. But they just kept being persistent and they lowered him down. You know the story. Jesus looks at him and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. What? The Bible says that Jesus looks at him, saw his faith, and said to him, your sins are forgiven. You see, we don't even need to, we don't even need to pray a, pa a prayer to accept Christ as our Savior. Jesus saw that his sins were forgiven. That's why around here, we just, we acknowledge it when someone accepts Christ as their Savior. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't even deal with the physical. He goes right through the mind to the spiritual. And he says to him, your sins are forgiven. He goes to the most important thing first, and he goes through the mind. And he gives him real clarity on what's going on here. And then he heals the body. Paul is a great example of this. For some of us dealing with things in our lives, you are too close to give up on your finances. You are too close. You've come too far to give up on a re godly relationship. You're too close. God's going to bring the guy into your life, girls. God, God's going to bring the girl into your life. God's going to, he's going to do it. You're you're too close to give up on getting that job. You're too close to give up on that degree. Because I can do all things, Paul said, through Christ who strengthens me. God changes our lives when we allow him to change our thinking. The reality is we live in a world where the constant thing that we do see is change. It's just the reality of our lives. And it seems like sometimes they're changing things without even asking us about changing the rules. We used to have to go find things and find people. If we wanted a book, we'd have to go to a bookstore. If we wanted to meet with someone and talk with them, we'd have to arrange a meeting place and go meet with them. Now, things and people come to us. It's a totally different world. It has changed, and that's good and that's bad. Some of us here remember when you wanted to watch a movie at home, you had to get in your car and drive to a store to get a movie to bring it home so you could watch it at home. How many of you remember this? And that was if they had it. They, they might have, if it's a new movie, they probably were already going to be out of it. And you had to bring it home and put it in the machine and you, and you watched the movie. But after the movie, you had to rewind the movie. And then you had to drive it and bring it back to the store. And if you didn't do that in the right amount of time, they charged you more money because you kept it longer than you were supposed. And if you didn't rewind it, they charged you even more money because you didn't rewind it. And yet we live in this changing world. As a matter of fact, years and years and years ago, it was diagrams that, that, that were carved on when people communicated through diagrams. And, and then we progressed and we used words. We put letters together, made words, and, and we communicated. And then time marched on and telephone 
We could talk to somebody else on the other side of the neighborhood or on the other side of the nation or on the other side of the world because talking to someone was so important to us. And then the cell phone. We didn't even have to be in a house or a building or a phone booth. See, phone booths were these little things that they made where people got... And we could be anywhere and talk to anybody. But we think we know where we want to go. We don't know where we want to go because after this, now we... We don't want to talk to some people. We just want to go back to words. And for some of us, it's simpler than that. We actually want to go all the way back to just drawing pictures again. In a world of change, there's just one thing that I want to drop on us. And that is, I want us to think about telling someone else about Jesus. I want us to just think about that as a closing thought. And as we leave here, and listen, we've spent five weeks, uh, five weeks on, on our changing our thinking, and we need to not let off the gas on that. We need to press that on through in our lives and never ease up on it and go through the process that Paul, but I, but I want us to think again because Jesus, his final words, In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. In other words, in our city, you'll be my witnesses. And in Judea and Samaria, the the next city's over, and and the, the whole region around us, you will be my witnesses. And then he says something that could not have even happened in their day to the ends of the earth. That meant he was talking down through history and including you and I in this very process. And the Bible says right after he spoke those words, he was taken up right before their very eyes into the clouds. The very last thing he said, and Luke writes this down in Acts, you will be my witnesses. So while we're progressing and while we're living in thinking, let's also think about, I gave you three spaces. Some of us could fill in 10. Some of us probably can only come up with one. But write somebody's name in those slots that you know you need to be a witness to, that you know it would be great if you invite her to sisterhood or if you invite them to church on any given Sunday. A great opportunity between now and all the way through the Christmas season. Stand with me this morning. And let me just challenge you real quickly before we close. Our band's coming up. We're going to do a song together. We're going to worship the Lord and and, uh, we'll all kind of meet in the cafe and find out how the Cardinals are doing. Um, But here's, here's here's what I want to say. God sent his son, this loving heavenly father, sent his son who willingly gave up his life. He let them nail him to a cross. They put him in a grave. He died. The Bible says on the third day he rose from the dead. The son of God rose from the dead. It was the resurrection that changed everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything. There isn't a religion on the planet 
that has done what Jesus did. And maybe you've never accepted him as your savior. I just want to give you that opportunity this morning. And it's as simple as, as believing that Jesus is the son of God, that he came, he let them crucify him, they put him in a grave. He rose on the third day. And he, I accept that. I believe that. And I accept him as my savior. With every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you've never done that. And you would like to do that. I'd love to give you that opportunity. And it's as simply as, it's as, simple as believing that. And just for my sake, would you just slip up your hand saying, I want to do that and put it right back down this morning. Yes, 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 yes. Father, thank you for these hands that went up this morning, recognizing who you are. Now they're spiritually alive because of accepting you as their Savior. They're part of our family, our family that you're creating that will live forever. And not only that, Father, but they together in our family will grow by the work that you're doing, like the work that you did in Paul in their lives and in our lives. Thank you, Father, so much. Bless those who raised their hands. Bless our church family as we worship you this morning, even in this next song. And we praise you. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. amen.